I don't know what that's like. I've never done that before. But um, when we left, she was this tall. And uh, when I congratulated her yesterday, I had to look straight across at her. And, uh, or Thursday, actually. But you know how things always change. And things always change for the better. But the legacy that you leave behind is typically not a building or a classroom or a bench or anything like that that we normally memorialize. But it's the people that you have impacted. And today, it's kind of a mixed emotion day. Because one of the persons with a legacy in my life since I was about 10 years old, um, Mike Edge, passed away this last week. And you have mixed emotions because you're like, yes, we will see them in the kingdom of God. But they will be missed. There's a little hole that's put there. And so I pray that you'll be with, um, you'll remember his family, especially Juanita. She went through so much um, with God's help conquering cancer, and then her husband got cancer and, and passed away, and be with the kids too. Um, remember the kids, because they're, they're hurting right now. But I know that Mike is one of those that would not want us to be sorrowful. He would not want us to think about the bad things that are happening right now, but the good and glorious things that are coming in the future. So today, didn't really know all this would happen all this at this time, but I'm going to talk about the resurrection, because this is typically about the time that after Jesus' resurrection that he ascended into heaven, uh, after spending a number of weeks with his disciples and apostles. So let's bow our heads as a church family this morning as we open God's word. Father in heaven, speak to us through your words today. We pray, dear Father, that you will give us the ability to not only see and hear, but to apply it to our lives. And dear Father, that you will give us something that we may not have known today and that you will make us renewed and that you will make us in a way that is in your image. I want to thank you for giving us your scriptures and that we can search them daily. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, and we'll start with um, chapter 15. And I'm going to start with verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached and he has been risen from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses to God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, who was not raised... In the fact that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, even Jesus Christ has been raised, not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and if they have no hope in Christ in the life only, we are all men and women most to be pitied. So I would say that if the resurrection is not important, then this text right here is full of baloney. But if you read it carefully, you'll find out that if there is no res resurrection, there's no point in being a follower of Jesus Christ because his disciples were liars. 
that the Romans and the ones that were around during the time in the Sanhedrin were actually right and that Jesus Christ didn't raise, they just took his body. But that's not exactly what happened, and we know that because there's actually extra-biblical uh, records of what happened. Even the, the earthquake and everything like that was recorded by people that were very afraid. And we found out in the last couple of weeks the Bible is dependable, that it is actually something that is a source that we can get all of our information from, and it is trustable. And if we look at resurrection, it has to be important because if Jesus did not resurrect according to this, then we have no hope. There is no hope. So the literal resurrection of Jesus Christ is very important. Jesus was resurrected to show us a small picture of what might happen later. Jesus is the first fruits of the second resurrection. So a persecutor um, of Jesus Christ would want you not to believe in this. And you know what? This precursor that Jesus did, this second coming, this first fruits, it gives us something we call hope. Because if you have no hope, do you really want to get up in the morning? How many of you have ever had one of those mornings where it's dark and nasty outside and you really don't feel like going to work, but you know you have to, and you just got in a fight with somebody at work, and you're like, oh, I really don't want to get How many of you really want to get out of bed that morning? Not really, because there's something missing, and it's called hope. So today, I hope that we see that there is something very vital in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that that is something called hope. Because hope is very, very important. And if I could have the next slide, please. James DeLoach, associate pastor of the Second Baptist Church of Houston, quoted back in 1989. I know this is a few years ago. Um, and it's, uh, it's taken from page 24 of uh, when God was taken captive. I am not a connoisseur of great art, but from time to time, a painting or a picture will really speak clearly. I don't know how many of you have sat in front of a picture ever and just kind of absorbed it and seen some of the things that the author is trying to show you. Thank you very much. And, you know, if you've ever painted, which I have, and the artwork is not exactly um, show quality sometimes, but if you've ever done artwork, you notice that there is some kind of communication that is more than just this is what it is. There's emotion in it, and there's light, and there's all kinds of things that kind of play into it. And if you sit and look at a piece of artwork enough, you'll start to feel the characteristics of the person that was painting it. You'll start to see the things that that person really loved in life and that person wanted to portray in life. And so this guy is sitting there looking at this picture, and this wasn't a picture that I thought was uh, a, a very great picture, but here it goes. It was a picture of an old burnt-out mountain shack. All that remained was the chimney, the charred debris of what had been the family's sole possession. In front of this destroyed house, home, stood an old grandfather-looking man dressed only in his underclothes with a small boy clutching a pair of patched overalls. It was very evident that the child was crying. Beneath the picture, there were words which the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. The simple words, yet presented in a, a profound theological way, were these. Hush, child. 
God's not dead. Think about that for a while. If you come to a point in your life where you've lost absolutely everything, and all of a sudden this comes across, hush child, God's not dead. It is a vivid picture. It is a really bad instance that happened to this old shack. But the words, God ain't dead, remind us each day instead that we need to look at not the despair in life, but the things that we have that are good in front of us. The old man knew that he had one of the most important things in his life right next to him, and that was the young child. You see, the reminder to us is a reminder of hope. When all else seems like it's gone and everything is done, it seems like there is one thing very good, and that is hope. In the midst of life's troubles and failures, I, I need mental pictures to remind me that all is not lost, that God is alive and in control of the world around me. How many of you have ever had that feeling? Some of you intimately. Hopeful. Let's turn in our Bibles again to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I'm going to start with verse 20 this time and then go past where we read before. Actually, continue on, sorry. But now Christ has risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. A little bit of interpretation there. Adam brought sin into the world, and through Jesus, sin will be eradicated. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits after those who are Christ's at his coming, then comes the end, and he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father. When he has abolished all rule and all authority and all power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is, and I always want to say the devil, <laughs> death. This was an interesting concept for me because I thought the devil was responsible for everything. But if he was, he'd be God too. The final thing that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expect, accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who has subjected all things to him, so that God may all be all in all. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised to all, why are they baptized for them? Why are they also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you that I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. There's a lot of confusion about this text. I have some family that there's... They're really confused and they're like, we need to be baptized for the dead. No, that was a practice that was going on during the time. And they're like, that's not exactly what you need to do. You need to choose Jesus and you need to be baptized. 
He said that over and over again in this text, that you need to choose, you need to be baptized, you need to follow Christ, because in him is life, and there is hope. And so whenever we have somebody that dies in our family or anywhere else, we always repeat this, that God is coming again and we have hope. It still hurts. It still hurts to say goodbye. But we look forward with hope. And when you find the, the followers of Jesus Christ all the way through the New Testament and even beyond, it's amazing to me to see how Jesus' resurrection changed the lives of so many people. In fact, if we say that Jesus is dead, then really there is no purpose in being here. And Paul was very clear about that in, in an unclear way sometimes. But if Jesus is alive, then we have something to look forward to. What would it be, look like when God resurrects his people? The thing that I always think about is... What about my dad? What about my grandma? What about my grandfather? But as I read over the last number of months about the resurrection of Jesus, I mean the resurrection of Jesus and the people at the second coming, that wasn't the theme. The theme was being reunited with our God, making everything right again. So resurrection is not just, oh, Jesus rose from the dead, now we can look forward to being resurrected, and we can go and see our loved ones, and that's wonderful. That is good. That's wonderful news. But that's not the reason for resurrection. As I read and read and read, I realized that the resurrection was saying that God is triumphant. He is the all and all. And what does that mean? That means that anything that he says in here is a help and an aid for me to be able to get closer to him, and that's the purpose. If you want to look at it, this is a portal to the past. This is a portal to your now. And this is a portal to the future. And I've gamed way too many video games because I would jump right to the future if I could. I'd be like jumping right through there. I'd be like, mm-hmm, I'm right there. But God wants us to make sure that we understand what a relationship looks like, one that is healthy in him. And so he says, I am coming back for you. Today it's easy to think of some of those that have fallen asleep in Jesus. Just this week, I know that there was three people, some of you are the sports enthusiasts, who passed away this week? Big Jim Brown. <laughs> Some of you are into the, uh, the uh, Christian realm, and there was another one that fell asleep, and I, I will actually uh, do a quote from him later on today. But um, it's, it's amazing that a week like this happens, and you're all of a sudden thinking about life. And some of you that are younger ones, you're like, eh, death stinks, I don't ever want to think about it. No, but you start doing a little retrospection in your own life. You're like, hmm, especially if you have a friend that gets hit by a car or has a drug overdose or something like that, you think for a little bit, what if that was me? Would anyone miss me? When Jesus died, I think some of those things were probably running through his mind as he's on the cross. Will anyone miss me? And the disciples, all of them fled except for just a handful of them out in the outskirts. But as Pastor Edge fell asleep yesterday, or was it the day before? I can't remember. It was just in the last two days. I had those thoughts that went through my head, the expectations. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 9. 
my mistake. Ephesians, let's see, chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. I think it's chapter 3. Pastor Nelson made a mistake, typed the wrong thing. It is not three. Anyhow, let's scratch that one today. <laughs> it's not Ecclesiastes, thank you. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> I've got somebody that's really on top of things today. I was looking in the Old I mean, New Testament, it was supposed to be the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 9, 5, and 6. down. They did not take it out of my Bible, I promise. It's stuck together. Nine, yep, nine, five, and six. For the living know that they will, what? Die. But the dead don't know anything. Nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, their zeal have already perished. They will no longer have a share in all the things that are done underneath the sun. It's a very morbid thing to think about, but at the same time, it's hopeful. We believe that when you pass away, that you sleep. It's a sleep that you don't dream. The next thing you know, Jesus comes. It's an amen, but we still miss them. But a lot of things in, in our lives need to come to a, a head, and we need to understand who we are before we meet our maker. I don't expect perfection. No one expects perfection. Not even God expects perfection. But what he expects from us is that we have a relationship with him and that when we pass away, I too believe that Jesus will cry too because death is something very evil. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 17 says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those that have fallen asleep lest you sorrow as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And you gotta look at that very carefully, very carefully, because those that have fallen asleep in Jesus that he's bringing back are a little different than the ones that are said next. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself, in saying that, will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
I always say that I'd love to be in a cemetery when this happens. It's not going to be gross. It's going to be wonderful. Because whatever they were, it will be better. Whatever ailment they had, it will be gone. You will see a perfect body rise, and when you see a perfect body rise, you'll be like, wow, look at the radiant glory and glow of that person. And then you'll look down at your own and be like, whoa, what just happened? And the twinkling of an eye, it said, we all change. We can go into that in details later. But we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we will always be with what? One another? No, with the Lord. You see, sometimes our focus is, I want to be with my family member. That's wonderful. But the family member and us, we need to strive to be with the Lord. Because that's the whole purpose in being a follower of Jesus Christ and the purpose of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is who we are, followers of Jesus Christ. You see, it is important that Jesus conquer death. If he conquers death, that means there is hope for everyone and that someday there won't be any death. I can't even understand that. I had a kid ask me, or somebody asked me this last week, hey, pastor, if no one dies, are we going to overpopulate? Oh. It's one of those questions you don't have an answer for, but that's kind of a cool answer. Will God say, oh, there's enough people on this planet. How about we go somewhere else? Or maybe I'll create another planet somewhere near it's hospitable to, you know, human beings and stuff like that. That'd be kind of neat. But we don't know. Will there be children after? I don't know. It doesn't really say in the Bible. There won't be any marriage or giving in marriage, but it doesn't say that we won't have more children. But that's not the point. The point is that we will be with God. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 58 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, tell you a mystery. That means it's really hard to describe. We will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this more life must put on immortality means we won't die so when this corruptible has put on incorruptible and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ therefore by beloved brethren and sisters be steadfast immovable always abounding people ask me the question too is it all really worth it do people really listen to us and accept Jesus your words only need to change two people yourself and someone else. But imagine what a little sentence of hope would give if you gave it often. People would want more because the world we live in is just like the world Jesus lived in. And if you don't believe me, read the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. You think that the political things that are going on right now are bad? (laughs) No. They were poisoning each other and stabbing each other and all kinds of stuff, which... It may happen too, but 
some of the things that are in the news right now, it was worse. So you think that the Bible is something that is totally out of this world and has no touch with human beings? It knows exactly. These people that wrote the words in the New Testament know exactly what it's like today because they experienced it too. So you see resurrection. There are many memorials that are set up to remember the dead. I think of the Taj Mahal. I want to go there someday. Let's click through there. Taj Mahal. How many of you have ever you put that on your bucket list? Anybody put that on their bucket list? Well, I guess not. Okay, maybe I'm just alone. But I'd like to go see it. It's a one-of-a-kind, and it was built for somebody very specific. And um, it was dedicated to the favorite wife, and I mean favorite wife because he had a few, uh, Shah Jahan. Um, he did this for, um, if I can say it right, Mumtaz Mahal. That was his wife that he really liked. She was a princess. And he built this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful memorial to her. And later on, he is buried there also. So this is a beauty, uh, beautiful thing that shows the love of two people. But it's a memorial because they're both dead. They were both buried here, and it's, it's just it's lovely. I mean, the story is wonderful, too, and everybody kind of resonates with that in the whole world. In fact, many movies have kind of put that in as kind of part of the love thing. And it's a one-of-a-kind structure but it's a memorial. They passed away. The whole story, we don't know the whole story. We just know what was put in writing. And that's all we know about the people. It's all we know. How about this one? The Pyramids of Giza. This was whole, a whole complex, not dedicated to just one person, but all the pharaohs and all of the, the people that... Uh, were in rulership during that time. And it's, I mean, how many of you know how old it is? And some of you have been there just recently, so you're grinning, I can see that. How old is this thing? Right around 2600 to 2500 BCE. Around. Give or take a thousand years. Because <laughs> it's really hard to discover, you know, exactly. But right around that time period. So that puts it, right up down near some of those other big buildings that uh, were destroyed and um, known as um, Nimrod cities. Right around after that, just after that. But it is a mausoleum for many, many, many people that are buried. We keep on finding mummies near there, and we keep on finding things in big holes underneath and tunnelways and all kinds of stuff. Just recently, they found a number of chambers uh, not too far away from there. And it's kind of interesting. They keep on finding more people, but it's a mausoleum to the dead. If you look at these elaborate preparations, it's interesting, the concept. The concept was that this actually is a gateway, a place where people are sent off into the next life via these boats or through these channels in the holes in these things. Uh, they're still trying to understand some of that. But they would, they would go off and they would go to the next life. They understood that life was short here on earth. I mean, if you're lucky nowadays, my grandfather lived to 103. If you're lucky, you can live into your hundreds. But most of the time, it's anywhere from your 70s to your 90s. Sometimes if you're lucky, into your hundreds. And you look at the time period that it is from now to when they built these, that's thousands of years. 
and yet they're still standing as a memorial to the people that were there. In closing, I have two slides. Jesus' life is an example of something a little different. His life was an example for teaching, for relationships. His death exemplifies his love. His burial is the devil's Achilles heel. He desired to hold him there, but Jesus was dedicated to keeping not only the Sabbath when he died, but keeping the fact that life would be restored. And when the heavenly Father called him, wow, the angel came down, rolled away the stone, come forward, your dad wants you. Big, tough soldiers. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. Big, tough soldiers. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> And it didn't end there. He went back to talk to the, the disciples and the apostles. He even told doubting Thomas, hey, look, I want you to see the nail mark. Whether it was here or here, I don't care. It was in his arm. Here, you want to see that? <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't do that. <laughs> it was there. In fact, he'll keep those scars with him, I believe. But when you see the account of how he ministered to his disciples afterward, it was amazing to see them go from no faith to tireless faith. You see, when we have hope, we go from the point where everything is lost, the ministry is dead, everybody is gone, I don't know where to start, to when he shows up, I'm willing to die for you, God. And it spread like wildfire after they were able to say, he is risen, and we're going to die for you if we have to. We're going to take this. I'm going to ask you this question this morning. What would it look like for you to accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ into your life? The fact that he is God. What would it look like for you to establish that he is, in fact, the creator of the universe, and he can recreate in you something that you never, ever fathomed in your life? That if you died, that he gives you a guarantee that I will spend eternity with you. I will raise you from the dead. How many of you would like that hope? Oh, I would. He says, all you need to do is believe and follow me. That requires us to do something more than say, I agree. I put my ideology behind this. That's fine. I agree with you. He says, no, no, no. I want you to come follow me. For Jesus, saying that he will resurrect is something a little bit different. How many of you have ever talked to something and said, I want you to become something. Besides your children, adults. <laughs> How many of you ever looked down at a dandelion and say, I would like you to become a rose? What did the dandelion do? It stayed a dandelion, grew a nice thing with seeds and blew away and made more dandelions, not roses. But Jesus, all he'd have to say is, you know what? I want you to produce roses, and it would. You see, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so important to who we are that if we pay attention to it, we will understand what it really, really means. The devil desired to hold him right captive in that place, and after Sabbath, he said, I've rested now. God the Father said, I'm coming now. Roll away that stone. 
And I don't know if there was music, but in my creative mind, there was the angels singing, and that's probably what lulled the soldiers to sleep. No, they were so afraid they passed out. I know it was. But there was music surrounding it and everything because all of heaven knew that when Christ conquered death, that it meant that there was hope for everyone. There was hope for everyone because Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is key to who we are because his ministry here on earth was key to who we are. And you know what? Jesus only raised three from the dead. Only three. Who were they? You can recite them with me. Lazarus, the daughter of Jairus, and the widow of Nain. Okay? And he saved countless from dying. Okay? There was a young man, yeah, widow of Nain, the young man, but through the ministry of Jesus, we see an underlying hope and dependence on the Heavenly Father. Because every time Jesus raised somebody from the dead, it was to restore not only a relationship, but restore every kind of hope that there was because there was somebody that depended on that person. As I look here, I'm like, there probably was more. Probably was more that we never heard of and maybe even Pastor Nelson glanced over this week. But those were the three major ones that I know of. His resurrection is not the end of history. When Jesus was resurrected, when he had spoken these things in Acts 1, 9 through 11, and when he had spoken these things while they were watching, Jesus had spent time with them. He says, when he was being taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight, and they, while they stood steadfastly and looked into heaven as he went up, Two men stood beside them in white apparel who said these things. Men of Galilee, why are you standing gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see a cloud of angels. I can't wait to see Jesus coming back in reverse order. I can't wait to see him with my eyes. And if you read a number of other places that says there'll be earthquakes and all kinds of things, you won't miss it. It won't be one of those things to be like, I slept through it. I know some of you can sleep through a lot of things. I've seen some children over the years that there were sirens going, there was thunderstorms going outside, and there's a child just curled up and going, <laughs> you know, sleeping. But this won't be one of those events. You won't be able to miss it. Not only is the resurrection important to the, and, and also the ascension is important too, because the promise that's given is that someday, even if you die, I will join you again and you will be able to spend eternity with me. This is so awesome because I looked with hope into the near future when God comes for all of us in the same way he was taken up will be a wonderful event. Even one of my friends just came to the epiphany a couple months ago, uh, maybe a half a year ago, that God was coming back literally in a literal way, and he goes, man, I didn't never saw it, and I'm like, yeah, but I told you, but you didn't want to listen to me, and he's like, yeah, but I finally saw it, and I'm like, that's wonderful, because if you see the enthusiasm in someone's heart that God is coming back, and he's coming back soon, and it's going to be a literal thing that God is actually going to do, it is wonderful, but in closing, God has promised that he will come back. The same lips were the ones that said, let there be light. The same ones that said, let the dry land appear. The ones that said, let there be animals that come on the earth. The ones that said, let 
You fill in the rest because there's a ton of things he created. So if he said that he created with the same lips and he says, I will come again, it's not like you and I saying, I'm a Christian with our mouths. God is saying, in fact, two things. It is going to become and it has already become. It would be more like us saying, I'm going to be a Christian. By the way, next week I'm going to become a missionary and I'm going and I'm going and I'm preparing and everything like this. It's actual doing. So when God talks, it's like our doing. And that's the thing that I really get confused over because when he died on the cross, when he said it is finished, he didn't mean the concept of salvation. He meant salvation was finished. It was there for you and I. So now all we have is the ability to accept it. And the acceptance is more than just saying, I accept it. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus will also come the same way. Tim Keller passed away this week too. Some of you don't know him, but a lot of us that uh, study theology and um, also study um, mercy and grace and, and uh, Christianity in a broad sense of the word. When it comes to hope, he was one that banged the drugs of hope and salvation to a lot of people. He passed away this week with a legacy, and the legacy is that he brought people to the word of God. He asked people to look at their Bibles. He may not have had the best of theologies. I, I must admit that. I really do admit that he had some things that were pretty far out there and pretty weird. But one thing that he did have, and that was bringing people to Jesus and having them find him. And I know a football player that died, you know, I told you earlier today too, and he was a great guy and all that. But that begs the question, which one of them was ready to meet Jesus? Which one of them was ready to meet him and wanted to meet Jesus and in the future we will meet him again? I don't know. It's not up to me. But I know I serve a gracious God and that this picture behind me is a promise to you and I that if God was raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven that he will fulfill his promise because when he said it, it's as good as done. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, no matter what happens to us in the world, no matter what kinds of things that come our, across our path, help us to be like the man that says, son, God's not dead. Help us, dear Father, to have hope that you are the God of the universe. And dear Father, that the second coming is real and it will come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.